if you're utilizing the Bibles provided for you by the church, that would be on page 857. Page 857. Titus chapter 1. And let's begin by reading verse 1 of Titus chapter 1. The title of the message this morning is Greetings to Titus and his task as pastor of Crete. Greetings to Titus and his task as pastor of Crete. Reading from verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Verse 4, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Let's pray. Father, speak to us now from your word, written 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul to his faithful co-worker Titus. Lord, we need these words this morning. Father, we need to hear from you how to live in a place much like Crete. We need to learn how to honor you. So Lord, give us your word by your spirit for your glory. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night, my daughter was married. It was a glorious time. Glorious time. And as we were driving to the church in the limousine, I said, well, honey, are you ready? Yeah, Dad. She said, any thoughts, any last-minute instruction? And we just chatted for a while. And and then I said, honey, it's so exciting. You're going to be going to Costa Rica for your honeymoon. And she goes, my passport. my passport. And I said, where is it? She goes, oh, dad, it's in the copier at home because I wanted to make a copy of it so you guys would have it in case I lost it. So we started talking about, well, how can you get your passport? And I said, well, honey, let's, we'll call somebody right now. She goes, okay. And we just kept talking and talking. We forgot to call anybody. And so we had the wedding ceremony. We were in the reception hall and it was about 1030 at night. And she walks up to me. She goes, daddy, we forgot my passport. <laughs> and we both started laughing. I said, I knew that would happen. So she said, that's no problem. Uh, Fernando and I will drive by the house to pick up the passport and uh, get it on the way to the hotel. And actually, it was really God's providence because what ended up happening is that we pulled up right as they were leaving our house. And uh, oh my, you know, it was just so many emotions came over me. And 
just saw them come out and they had changed and they were jumping into their car to go to the hotel and she had her passport and I was able to shake Fernando's hand again and just tell him thanks for caring for her and kiss her and just tell him we love them and they drove off. But it just sort of reminded me of today's message and it was actually a great little illustration. So I asked Desi to get my passport and you may be wondering what do passports have to do with today's message. Well, I believe today's message is all about how you would identify or define yourself. Now, if you were to look on my passport, uh, the first thing it would tell you is that I am a citizen of the United States of America. So it would define me as an American. Uh, next, if you looked here on this passport, it would, it would tell you that uh, I was born on September 29th. Uh, 1956. So it, would, it would define me as a 50-year-old male. Uh, it would define me as a man who, though I have my citizenship in the United States, it would tell you as I applied for this passport that my parents were born and raised in Cuba. So it would define me as a Cuban-American. Uh, it would also define my height, 5 foot 11. My weight, 210 pounds. Well, that's a lot, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> it would define uh, my race. I would be white. It would define my ethnicity. I'd be Hispanic. So passports tell us a lot. They, they define us. They identify us. But one thing my passport probably won't tell you is the greatest way that I am defined. And really, the way that all of us are defined is how do we relate to God? Everyone is defined by that. There is not a stamp, there is not a place in the passport that says, how do I define myself with respect to God? But everybody does. And Paul, in the text here, is urging us that we would define ourselves by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have a copy of the notes, that would be the main statement, the propositional statement of this message. There in bold. I believe God's burden for you this morning in Titus chapter 1 verses 1 to 5 is that you would define yourself by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, how do you define yourself? If someone would say, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. Define yourself for me. Would you say, well, your name? Certainly. Would you say your profession? Well, I think so. Some of you might describe yourself uh, by the fact that you're married or you have children. You might define yourself by the school that you attended. You might define yourself by some things you did in the past. Maybe another question is, well, who would define you? Would you define yourself by your, your parents? Would you define your, yourself by your friends? Would, would maybe your choices define you? Well, maybe. But, but what this passage is saying, is that God wants you to define yourself by the gospel, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, dear friends, that is what defines you. And if I could just take a moment to speak to everyone here. I don't know everyone. And, and so I would just say this to you. If you haven't considered that the greatest definition of your life is how you would relate to God, then I beg you this morning to consider that. If you're here, and perhaps you're thinking, why am I here? Let me suggest that you're here for that reason. 
you may be wondering, well, you know, maybe I'm just visiting or maybe you're in for the wedding, whatever. I would think that God would want to get your attention and say, listen, what defines you ultimately, eternally, is how you relate to God. Some of you may say, well, God's fine. God and I have no problems. We get along fine. He has his world over there. I've got my world here. doesn't bother me. I don't bother him. I give him respect. He gives me respect. I want to suggest to you that that's not the way the Bible would have you relate to God. There are some, and I doubt they would be here, that would define themselves in antagonism toward God. Although some, perhaps because of life's problems, life's difficulties, right now God may be almost like an enemy. This is funny, as I was driving to the wedding yesterday in the limousine, I had a brief moment of defining myself toward God in a bit of an antagonistic role. This thought just filtered through my head. God, why is it raining on my daughter's wedding day? I mean, in that moment, the most important thing about Alpino wasn't the fact that he graduated from the University of Florida, or that he was an army officer, or that his dad was a Cuban, or that he lives in Miami, or that he's a pastor of Palm Vista Community Church. Those things are all true. You know what defined me at that moment? Dude, you're in trouble with God here temporarily. There's a momentary uh, interruption in the signal. Thank God, because of his grace, I just thought, whoa, excuse me, Lord, forgive me. The fact that I'm sitting next to a 21-year-old woman who is beautiful, who is healthy, who has really been a blessing all my life, who, has, who loves you, who is getting married to a man who has become a friend of mine because he really wants to be my friend, and he's a 24-year-old man who loves my daughter, and they both seek you. And the fact, we're riding in a limousine, and she's got a beautiful dress on, and you've got a nice tux on, and you're a little overweight because you eat really well. I think that it, you should like say, thank you, God. So what? It's raining. It rains in Florida in July in the afternoon. So my temporary insanity was corrected. And just, it's just this transaction occurred just over a few minutes. And I, and, I, and I settled back as the windshield wipers were going. I could hear the thunder. You know, and wondering, are we going to get soaked? And I settled back and said, if we do, that's fine. God, you really have been good to me. But what was important at that moment is how did I relate to God? in the midst of the circumstances he had given me. And that's the most important thing about you. So if you're here and you don't know the Lord, or you're just here because you're paying God a courtesy visit that you do a couple of times a year, oh, I beg you, relate to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Relate to God through the cross of Christ and why it was so important for Jesus to die for you. I beg you, consider that. For the rest of us, notice how Paul defines himself. Point one. Look at the text, verses one and two. How does Paul define himself? Paul, a servant of God. That's a curious definition. Hi, my name is Al Pino. I'm a servant of God. (laughs) People think, okay, like what cult do you belong to? I just landed on my you know, spaceship just across the field there. I'm a servant of God. <laughs> but, but Paul has a reason for defining himself this way. It's a very God-centered definition versus a Paul-centered definition. Paul was brilliant. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul had memorized probably the first five books of the Old Testament. Paul was a scholar. He had his Ph.D., 
Paul was a renowned man. He was a famous man. You know, he was CEO material. He was top shelf guy. He was politically in the in crowd. But how does he define himself? I'm a servant of God. He goes on. And an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth which accords with godliness. See, Paul understood his purpose in life. Do you? Paul understood that his focus was on the church. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the people that Jesus died for. Is that how you define yourself? You may not be an apostle. Few are. But are you defined by God and his purposes on earth as defined in the church? Notice what what Paul continues to to say there in verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, nor does he make mistakes, even on rainy Saturdays in July, God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Paul defined himself with respect to the hope that God gives us. And that hope is eternal life in Jesus. And he says, God never lies. If you define yourself according to others' opinions of you, if you define yourself according to your job, if you define yourself according to your socioeconomic status, your bank account, all those things are but momentary. Many of them lie. They are shaky foundations. They can be taken from you in a moment. Your health, your status, your finances, this culture. One t- we're, we're one terrorist act away from really probably economic destruction. 9-11 was very instructive. It helped us a bit, but everybody forgot its lesson. I mean, Wall Street was teetering. I can remember, you know, when, what really shook me on 9-11, I was watching Wall Street. That just shows you where my mind is, okay? And I'm like, come on, come back, come back, come back. It's like a bad accident. And it just kept dropping and dropping. Billions are being lost. I'm like, come on, you can do it, Wall Street. Open up. Okay, opening day, I was watching the ticker. And then it started coming back. Really, that's God's grace. The intent was to destroy us economically. We live in South Florida. You're a hurricane away if you define yourself by your house of no longer having any identity. (laughs) Right? Some of us know what that feels like, don't we, Jeff? (laughs) Seeing my identity on the street (laughs) and moving out for a year and a half, however long you guys had to move out of your house. What defines you? The unshakable rock of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What you look like. Oh my, don't define yourself by that. (laughs) That is very changeable. (laughs) Look at me, all right? I look at a picture of me when I first started here, and my hair was like all black. (laughs) My face didn't look like a big moon pie, you know? (laughs) Who is that man? (laughs) Oh, that's me. Paul spent so much time defining himself with relation to God and the church because he wanted to say something to Titus. Do we remember Titus? Those of you who were here last week? Yes. And do you remember where he pastored? Well, yes, we do. And if you've forgotten, just turn your notes over for a moment. It's a great little map. If you can find Crete right here in the middle of the Mediterranean, if you have the fortune of going on a Royal Caribbean cruise to the Med, you might even stop in at Crete. Have a little fun on the beaches. 
But what do we know about Crete, dear friends? Come on, speak up. What do we know about Crete? They were Cretans. They were Cretans. What's a Cretan? He's a a lying, lazy, lustful man. (laughs) Those of you who weren't here last week, just look at verse 12 of chapter 1. One of their own, a Cretan, a guy named Epimenides, a philosopher said, Cretans are liars and they're lazy and they're gluttons. So why does Paul spend such a long time defining himself with relationship to God and the gospel? Because he's saying, look, you live in a place, Crete, South Florida, that defines himself itself by the car they drive, by the clothes they wear, by the house they live in. Image is everything here, is it not? I define myself by my last pleasure or the next one I'm going to partake in today or tomorrow. I define myself by the next party, by the next promotion, by the next pleasure. And Paul says, no, we're different. We define ourselves by the gospel so that what Corey said during the the offering is true. I can sacrifice for the Savior. I don't live for the riches of this world because they're temporary. I live for the riches of eternity that don't change. So that's why he labored so long to define himself that way. Now, how did he define Titus? Point two in your notes. How did he define, how did he define Titus? Curious definition. Look at verse four. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. Interesting. He defines Titus as his true child. Well, I didn't know Paul was married. Well, he wasn't. So the child here isn't a biological child. It's a child in the faith, a disciple. Much like Timothy was a disciple of Paul, Timothy had been left in a place called Ephesus, which if you look at your maps, if you find Crete, and you kind of go a little bit north, you'll see Ephesus in what's today known as Turkey. Ephesus. Timothy was left in Ephesus to pastor. We studied 1 Timothy the last four months. And then Titus was left in Crete to pastor. We're studying Titus now. We're studying the pastoral epistles. Timothy as well was called a son in the faith. Paul gave Titus his definition with respect to Titus's relationship to the Lord and Titus's task as a pastor, as a Christian. Do you define yourself by your task as a Christian? Oh, but Al, I don't have really a task like you do. See, Al, you're defined as pastor, right? Well, it's one of the things I do, but it doesn't define me. You know what I feel about when you say, Hi, Pastor Al. I will generally respond to you, Hi, boat manufacturer and and, uh, marine expert Richard. Hi, CPA and potential CFO of a large corporation, Gustavo. Hi, social worker, Jesse. You would look at me and say, You're being really weird, Al. I said, Well, yeah, so are you. Why are you defining me that way? I define myself by the gospel, 
Now, I am a pastor, and there should be respect afforded pastors, not because of us, but because of him. And we should act respectably. And my friend Corey next week is going to outline how a pastor should act and the qualifications he should have. And therefore, you should honor a pastor because the pastor should be honoring God and receiving grace from God. But I didn't choose this. It chose me. So therefore, I'm simply fulfilling what God's called me to do. And God has chosen you to do some things that are just as important for this church as what I do. My thing is public. You see me every Sunday. You hear me many Sundays. Or or Corey. But it doesn't make it any more important. Because if you don't do what you're called to do, this church will fail. Because many scriptures, and no time to get into them, talk about the body has many parts, and some parts of the body are more visible and more verbal. The mouth is very verbal, okay? But there are other parts of the body that aren't as visible, that are just as necessary. You need feet and hands and arms. You need things that are parts of the body that are just as important as this part of the body. And so the question for you today is, do you define yourself by what God's called you to do? It's not just for pastors to define themselves that way, or apostles, or home group leaders, or ministry team leaders. It's for all of you. I beg you, I beg you, consider carefully what God has called you to do in the church. And be as careful and as diligent and as faithful to do that as you are in your business. Because the day you stand before the Lord, He is not going to ask you how the marine business went. He knows how it's going. He's not going to ask you how the sales job went. He's not going to ask you how the nursing career is going. He's going to say, what did you do with my gospel? And the people I called by that gospel, the church? And did you share the gospel with unbelievers? Did you do the work of of an evangelist? How did you steward the monies I gave you as you worked for Texaco or Motiva? Your job is important. Do it well. It's a calling. And the money God gives you is important. Spend it well. But how you use it in relationship to God is how you'll ultimately be judged. In heaven, people are not going to be impressed with the size of house you owned here or the amount of money in your bank account. In heaven, we're going to be cheering the the, the heroes of the faith. Oh, you had nothing. And you served the Lord with joy. Wow. Let's hear it for so-and-so. Yeah! You bring your crown and you put it at the feet of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. I can't wait for that day. And I want you to be right next to me. I want to be there and say, hey, 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 did you know, did you know Kevin? Here's Kevin. Yeah, I know you did. This is Kevin. I I served with Kevin. Kevin, come forth. The Savior says, well done. When no one was looking. This is what we talked about last week. No one was looking. You prayed. You gave. You sacrificed. You said no to the new couch so you could tithe. You said no to to the newer car so you could give to missions. You you, you said no to a job that would pay maybe uh, 50% more to live in a city that's 20% cheaper because God called you to a place that's much more expensive and much more violent, much more crazy. You did it for the sake of the gospel. I define you as my son in the faith. You're a child of God because you live for his kingdom, not your own. That's what this is about. That's what Paul is saying to Titus. Titus, accomplish this work that I've given you. Skip down to verse 5. That's what it says in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, 
Not so that you can get a suntan and enjoy the beaches. This is not a cruise. You're not on furlough. No, you're going to put what remains into order. Guess why he had to put it into order? Because it was in disorder. Have you ever walked into disorder? It's not fun. These were Cretans. Okay? We know what Cretans are like. We're Cretans. Put a bunch of Cretans in order. And, 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 and appoint elders in every town. Apparently there were many churches on the island. Again, think of the island of Puerto Rico. Very similar in size and topography. And, and, and so Corey's going to preach next week. How did he do that? What did he look for when he appointed these elders? Also, skip back up to verse 3. Paul gives us a picture of how he defined himself. Verse 3, speaking of himself. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted. Do you see that? Paul didn't think he was a big deal. Paul was a no deal. Paul was the least of everyone. Paul the apostle. Ooh, Paul the apostle. said, no, no, I suffer the most. I'm the last one in. I'm the first one up in the morning, the last one to bed at night. I'm the last one to eat in the, in the lunch line. I'm the last one. I'm the last. I'm the last. I'm the last. Corey's the last here. We're the least. I've been entrusted with something. In another place, Paul says, woe to me if I don't preach. We're no big deals. Woe to me if I don't preach. I've been entrusted with a treasure. What am I going to do with it? You've been entrusted with the treasure. What are you going to do with it? You've been just as entrusted as I have. It's the same treasure. It's the gospel. Do you define yourself by the gospel? You better. Because God does. (laughs) You either accept it or you reject it. You either live and the gospel is Jesus Christ. It's life, death, resurrection. Oh, please, don't let the the mist of this world and all its stuff shroud the most important treasure, which is the gospel. Oh, don't do it. The letter to Titus really is a call to define ourselves by the gospel. So, how do you define yourself? This is the takeaway question. This is the homework do you define yourself by your physical appearance? Lord knows in this city, there's an industry that says, you are what you look like. No, you're not. No, you're not. Do you, do you define yourself by your family? How about your race? How about your nationality? Thank God for this church. Thank God for you. Thank God that you do not define yourself that way. Because this church is an incredible collection of different people. We are not a large church. But last count, I don't know, 14 nationalities, 15. So I'm, I'm hanging out with my Indian friend, Naveen, as my Argentinian friend, uh, Gustavo, has tears in his eyes sharing a testimony that his kind of mixed-up American-Cuban friend, Al, is listening to. I grew up with two cultures, you know, and most of us did, right? But I don't, I'm not defined by that. It's important. I don't reject it. I love Lechon Asado, okay? I celebrate Noche Buena. I try to dance the salsa, Okay? I'm a Cuban that wasn't quite given the rhythm that other Cubans were given. But, you know, so, you know, I go with Naveen to an Indian restaurant. I had a blast. Culture is like the spice 
Okay, but it's not what defines me at my core. At my core, I'm defined that I'm a Christian. I'm a member of the kingdom of God. And Revelation 7, one day we're all going to be there, every tribe and tongue and language and people worshiping God. And so do you. That's death to racism, isn't it? And just proud arrogance that my skin color or my language or my people is superior to yours. Thank you. But we need to call others to that as well by the gospel. Do you define yourself by your educational level? How about your job, your income, your socioeconomic status? Do you define yourself by your family or your friends? Look, I'm not saying any of those are are unimportant. They're important. But, oh, friend, here's the appeal. Define yourself by the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and define yourself by his call upon you. In this book, we're going to discover that call. It's to serve. It's to serve the church. It's to be a person with perhaps the gift of prophecy, the gift of giving, the gift of mercy, the gift of hospitality. Some of you may be called as pastors. I don't know. Apostles, prophets, evangelists. Wouldn't surprise me. They come through the church. Some of you young men and women may be called to serve him in foreign lands. I don't know. But seek. Be diligent. Steward the gift of God within you, the treasure within you. And define yourself by the gospel. And that's the appeal. Here in your notes, appeal. Define yourself by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the only way to find an identity. Now listen, rooted in reality, ready for eternity. Are you rooted in reality? Are you ready for eternity? Listen, that's our call as pastors, to prepare you for eternity. Martin Luther said there are two days on every man's calendar, today and that day. You will all face God one day. Are you ready? Church makes you ready. Good preaching makes you ready. Home groups make you ready. Giving when you don't want to give makes you ready. Okay? Root your identity in reality and ready yourself for eternity. It's that simple. That's the word for today. That's the word in Titus this morning. It's at a minimum that. We're going to discover it is actually even more than that. But at a minimum, it's the gospel. Now, I want to do two things as we bring this message to a close. I I want to remind you of what we're doing together to memorize Scripture. So turn to Titus 2. As you're turning, I'd like to ask the worship team to join me up front because we're going to conclude with the song. But turn to Titus 2. And I want us to read this together. We are, as a church, memorizing the key verse, verses of the book of Titus. The book of Titus is about God's grace that enables us to live for God. So let's read this out loud together. I'm reading from the ESV. So if you don't have the ESV, you can read. Just don't read quite as loudly as the person who has the ESV, all right? But I'm reading from the ESV, Titus 2. If you don't have an ESV, look over the shoulder of someone around you that's got one. We've handed out these, I think, to those who needed Bibles this morning. This is the ESV, English Standard Version. Titus 2, we're going to go to verse 11, and we're going to read down to verse 14, okay? Let's take our time, folks. Let's read this calmly, passionately. Let's enjoy this like we would enjoy a filet mignon. You don't just wolf down a filet mignon, do you? Some of you may, but I don't. I'll wolf down a Big Mac, okay? All right? But not a filet mignon. I savor it. This is filet mignon. 
Okay? All right, so let's read it together. Just join me out loud, okay? You ready? Here we go. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. Let me stop for a second. Do you see that? He wants us to root our identity in reality, which is the grace of God, readying ourselves for eternity. We're living like this with one eye on eternity. When Jesus comes back, don't live a foolish life for just for today. Live for tomorrow and the, the great tomorrow, the day Jesus comes back. That's what the scripture's saying. And then God says, I'll give you the power to do that. Because we're all Cretans, right? We want to live, eat, drink, and be merry. God says, no, there's something better. Live for me. That's where God's grace comes in. All right, so let's go back to verse 13. Let's start there where it says waiting. You ready? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now notice here, here comes the gospel. Here's the gospel, verse 14. Who gave himself for us. Why? To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, that's the church, for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Oh, friends, here's the call of God. Live for God. Be zealous or passionate for good works, not just for your own pleasure. Okay? So we're going we're gonna to sing a song, a ministry time song, and let's just stand together and sing it to the glory of God. Why did we sing that song? Because I want your eyes to be fixed on the most important place. It's not on your sin. You need to be aware of your sin. It's not on this culture. You need to be aware of the culture so we can reach it. It's on our Savior on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. It's the power of God so that we might live lives pleasing to Him. Saying no to ungodliness. No to worldliness. Yes to a life that pleases God. Let me bless you now. This benediction comes from Psalm 121. I want you to look this way. This psalm is for you. If Christ is your Savior, at the center of your life, if you're living for Him and not yourself, then this blessing is for you. It begins with the truth that I just mentioned. It begins this way. I lift up my eyes to the hills, actually to the hill, Calvary. From where does my help come? Oh friend, your help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. God never sleeps, dear friend. Behold, he who keeps Israel, we are the Israel of God in Christ, will neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on a hot day with the sun of this world's trials burning on you. God is your shade. He's on your right hand. The sun, it will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. You know what that means, the moon by night not striking you? Have you ever heard of the term lunacy? Insanity? Lunar. Lunacy. That was a, it was a metaphor for those who would be actually losing their mind, having no peace because of what's happening in their life. Here's the promise. In Christ, the, the moon will not strike you. The Lord will keep you. 
He will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. And the Lord keep you, dear friends, because of Christ and His purpose in the church. Amen. Amen. You, you are dismissed to go as blessed people in Christ. Thank you for coming this morning. You are dismissed.